I will be reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. That can be found on page 1791. And I'll be reading from 1 John 5, verse 1 through 5. That can be found on page 1903. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immor immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will be true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, 1 John 5, 5 through 1 through 5. Faith in the Son of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to show his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Thank you, Kathy. We are looking this morning at that sense of victory. And you notice here in 1 John 5, it speaks about how our faith, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So as we gather in faith, our faith gives us the victory. And then uh, from 1 Corinthians 15 is the clearest statement where it says, death has been swallowed up in victory, and thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, that is our theme. We want to just take that reality to heart. Congregation of Bethel, we are preparing in our remembrance of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, we have uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and, and we are just preparing ourselves for what, what that all involves and how significant that is as a church 
community, as a faith community, we always highlight those two key events in terms of the entire church year. And so, so what is so significant? What is so uh, tremendously important here? The Bible speaks about it in many places. Our reading from 1 Corinthians 15 uh, actually begins, the chapter begins with these words from verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, where uh, it says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So, talking in this chapter about that event too, that central event, first importance, to remember, to celebrate, to pass on the truth that Jesus died and that he rose again. That's the message. That's the message of salvation. That's the message the team is going to bring to Victoria. This is the center, the first, the most important aspect of what we believe, the great and glorious victory that was achieved in that event. And so that's our text from 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verse uh, 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been looking at how the Bible tries to communicate to us what is actually all going on in these significant events. We have uh, seen and, and dug into the amazing truth of all that Jesus has accomplished in his death and resurrection. And we've talked about things like ransom, that Jesus who came and said, I did not come to serve, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So in his death and resurrection, he paid a ransom. And we, we talked about the story of Amanda Lindhout and how she was ransomed, set free. And so how we are ransomed and set free by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about healing, that in the events of the death and resurrection of Jesus, by his wounds, we are healed. We all have the cancer of sin in us, and we need healing. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are healed from that cancer of sin. And we saw a Dr. Freirach who brought that healing in a tragic and difficult cancer situation. This morning, we look at victory. Victory uh, looks different ways to us. Like, how do we experience victory? Sometimes it, it's, it's just on, on the smaller levels in terms of, of family or kids. If there's sports involvement and, and a team or a player wins, you, you have the sense of victory. I know there was a tournament for cash, basketball, and, and yeah, they, they were certain standing. But if you, you have the victory in sports, well, that's nice, but this is much, much greater. You have a political things. There's, there's election things in the air, and, and there again, someone is, is, is elected. They are victorious, and that's an important and, and significant thing. But what, what we are looking at here is, is much more than that. The Bible wants to get through to us 
that what Jesus has done for us is the greatest victory. It's of first importance. It's above everything else. And what it does, it, it defines all our reality, everything we see, everything we do, sports, politics, economics, our families, our, our church. It's, it defines all of that, this victory of Jesus, and it defines who we are personally as people, as followers, as believers in Jesus. So Jesus' victory is what is involved in our Lent and Easter visual here. And so we started with like the, this, this cut-out cross. Remember the first Sunday, it, it was just plain plywood. Now it starts to, you can see, yeah, it's focused on Jesus. And the first Sunday, we just had this crossbeam just laying on the ground here. And so you wonder, what is, what is going on here? And now, the second Sunday, we had the main, the main beam came in. And yeah, there is something significant going on here. And so this Sunday, too, you see the cross starting to take shape. You, you recognize that, that God is at work in this event of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And, and he's putting together a powerful message at the center of our lives. And this morning, uh, really, the cross, the cross, I want you to recognize it. Uh, it's not fully in place yet, next Sunday, but the, the sense of it, it's a monument. It's a, it's a memorial. It's, it's a war memorial that we would see the cross as a war memorial, remembering, celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's as it comes together for us. We want to take hold of that truth. First of all, to give you the context, the background, in the Bible, it often talks about victory. In the Bible story, its whole revelation, it comes in many different ways. One of the fascinating stories early on in the Bible is the story of, of the people of Israel when they are attacked by the Amalekites in Exodus 17. And what happens, the, Moses goes up on a hill and, and the, the whole the, the war is in front of him and, and Israel is fighting against the people of Amalek. And, and when he raises the staff in his hands, he, he can see it right in front of him. He can see the Israelites are, are victorious. And, and then when his arms get tired, then, then he sees the Amalekites are, are pushing the Israelites back and they are winning. And so, so the whole story revolves around the fact that there is one person and the symbol is pointing to God, trusting in God. And the one person, Moses, trusting in God, brings the victory, which is a picture of Christ already in that, in that particular, particular picture here. Moses on the hill. That picture of God bringing the victory is continues to be worked out in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 8. And the book of 2 Samuel talks about the life of King David. And it speaks about the life of King David through him. And he's simply trying to be faithful. He wasn't perfect, but simply trying to be faithful. 
it says God brought the victory to the people of Israel and, and established them in the land and gave them peace on every side. Why? How? Through one person, David, through David, God brought the victory as he tried to serve God faithfully. And that's again a picture of Jesus, that central trusting God and knowing that God is working in his life to bring, bring victory, the sense of, of establishing that people so they could be that, that mission presence, that vision, that ministry of God in the world. And that continues even in 2 Samuel 23, uh, speaks about other individuals, uh, Eliezer and, and Shammah, David's mighty men. And it speaks in, in, in 2 Samuel 23, they, uh, they were in conflict with the Philistines and others and, and took a stand. Eliezer took a stand in a lentil field and defended it in the name of the Lord. And through him, God brought the victory. And the army of Israel came back around him and they were successful. And it's, it's picturing that power of God that brings the victory. So these Old Testament conflicts, they point to God's power, his redeeming work in the world, and making it clear that it's the power of God. Moses lifting his hands, David praying and trusting in God. God brings the victory as we put our hope, our trust in him. Now, through the Old Testament, that, that, that conflict is never resolved. But there's always the hope in Israel that someone will come. One other person, one more person, the Messiah, the Christ, that he will come. And when he comes, we will win the victory. So that's the longing of the Old Testament. So as the New Testament begins, there is Jesus, the baby born, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. And his ministry continues to declare that the victory is at hand. In Matthew 12, verse 20, he's speaking. It's as if he's in downtown Victoria, and, and he sees all the poor and needy people. And he says, why isn't anyone taking care of these people and ministering to them and helping them? And he says that injustice will be destroyed. And that justice... He will lead justice to victory. His power, his work, his word going forth. And that's even evident in the mission team here, going in the name of Jesus, in the name of the cross, to do that work. That's the power, the victorious power of Jesus still going out. Elsewhere, in, in the Gospel of John, uh, John 16, 33, it moves to the sense of Jesus overcoming and that reality in 1 John 5, verse 4, just reading those words, the, the same Apostle John writing, the victory is in our faith in Jesus that overcomes the world. And, and the picture there is in relation to a world that has injustice, trouble, pain, but mainly 
the reality of death. This is a world under the shadow, under the power of death. Sin, death, and Satan. But the overall picture here is the power of death. Victory over the power of death. So that's the hope that is presented in, in relation to this theme of victory. It's a significant biblical theme that was developed in the Christian church already early on. Jesus as victor. That was a picture of what happened on the cross. Jesus did battle with the power of death. All of us are under that curse. And in the church, through the ages, there has been, whenever Good Friday and Easter is remembered and celebrated, that part of it has always been there. The thought of Jesus victorious over death. That's one of the key things as we remember, as we celebrate. The events of Good Friday and Easter are the decisive battle in a war between God and the powers of darkness and the power of death. And Good Friday and Easter is a pivotal battle. It's a turning point. After this, the devil knew he would eventually be defeated. After this, God's people, believers in Jesus, know that they will ultimately win the victory. It's that turning point. So we need to understand that truth in relation to Good Friday and Easter. It's an event that defines our experience of the world we live in. And it changes it from death to life. That's the significance. Jesus is victorious. And it also defines our lives as Christians living in the assurance of what Jesus had done, that we too live for Jesus, and though we die, we will live. That great truth was evident on a smaller scale in events that I want to share with you in relation to World War I. In April of 1917, an event took place in the First World War, an event that changed the war, that changed the actual whole outcome of the war as well as it, it changed the identity of our nation, Canada. Very significant event that changed everything was the Battle of Vimy Ridge. The Battle of Vimy Ridge, April 9, 1917. Historians say Canada came of age. It, it came to life. It was, it was born as a nation in that turmoil, in that battle. It emerged from under the shadow of Britain, and it, it was felt capable of, of being a nation in itself. It was also a battle where the Germans for the first time realized they could not win this war. 
It was this battle where they realized that their efforts were futile and they went on to defeat. It was a profound victory on that day for Canada and for the Allies and it was a victory gained at a terrible cost. More than 10,000 people, men killed and wounded. And so it ties into as well, Jesus' victory was at a terrible cost, the death of the Son of God. But it gained the greatest victory. It happened this way. It was in the spring of 1917. It was the duty of the Canadians. They were ordered to seize Vimy Ridge. The line of battle ran along, along this edge here uh, in, north, in northern France. And the, the Canadians and the Allies were on this side, the Germans here. And they were ordered to take that ridge where the red line and then, and then these three lines coming off. And so they were, were planning to move, move up and to take that position. This was one of the most heavily fortified positions the Germans had. In the entire war, along the entire line of conflict, this was the most difficult. The Germans had reinforced this for over two years with tunnels and bunkers and everything. It was untakeable. The French had made efforts to capture this ridge. In their efforts, they had lost, killed, outright killed, over 100,000 men. And now the order came for the Canadians to take this ridge. This was the reality of the situation. The actual line is about seven kilometers, and so the attack would take place over that seven-kilometer stretch. The Canadian forces were four battalions, about 30,000 soldiers. They set about planning their attack. They studied aerial photographs to make sure they knew as much as they could. They had engineers dig tunnels, uh, 11 tunnels, from where they were up underneath so that the troops could could get safely closer to the enemy lines and then attack more quickly. So they prepared things like that. They also had the support of 1,000 artillery pieces. And so they were able to engage the enemy with, with the artillery, first of all. And, and as the artillery would force the German troops to be hiding in their trenches and then the Canadians could come forward and attack and hopefully defeat them. You have to realize in this particular battle, and the thing that was so significant about this battle was the timing. Timing was everything. In the Bible, when it speaks about Jesus' ministry, Jesus is approached at certain points and said, why don't you just... Uh, win the victory now, so to speak. But he says, my time has not yet come. Timing was everything. And then in Romans uh, 5, verse 6, we read, at just the right time, Christ died for us. 
in battle, timing is everything. The battle had been planned for April 8, 1917. Originally, they were going to attack on April 8, 1917. On April 8, in 1917, Easter, the actual Easter day, Easter Sunday, was April 8. April 8, 1917 was Easter Sunday. But it was a beautiful day. It was a glorious day. It was sunny. It was lovely. And they decided the time was not right. And the next day, April 9, there was a storm, wind from the west blowing in the face of the enemy. And so they decided they would attack April 9 with every advantage that they could have. And so the attack took place on April 9. At exactly 5.30 in the morning, all 1,000 guns opened up all along the length of the line, so over seven kilometers. And they had worked it out that the gunners, they, they are, of course, back in the background. The gunners knew the range to the enemy trenches and were shooting over top of the Canadian troops. And the gunners were told that you shoot for three minutes, just exactly three minutes, and then you stop shooting, and then you raise your gun just a little bit so that when you start shooting again, you are shooting 100 meters further. So every time the shooting would be 100 meters, every three minutes, it would move 100 meters up, up over the ridge and up just to give the Canadian troops a chance. Because the Germans had machine guns and everything just pointed down off the ridge. The, the Canadians were coming up a steep hill. The Germans had every advantage. Uh, the, the gunners had to do every three minutes. And then the Canadian soldiers, they were told, you walk 100 meters, 100 meters, so that's, that's just the length here, right? A little further. But you walk, you advance only 100 meters every three minutes. You don't run, you don't, you don't charge ahead, you, you were standing there in, in front of the German guns. You walk. You walk slowly. That you walk 100 meters in three minutes. Otherwise, you, you're going to be killed by your own shells, of course. But, but imagine just doing that, right? I mean, you were in the middle of a, of a war zone. I mean, you are, it, it's chaos. You have to just trust. Just trust, and you start, and three minutes, and then right there, all of the, all of the shells coming over you moves 100 meters ahead, and you can walk, and then whatever you find there, you engage the enemy right there. It's amazing. At 5.30, they started... By 6.30, they had gained that first line, that red line that comes up and back there. They had it. Just 
slowly moving forward. By 7.30, they had gained the next line over here. And by 9, they had gained the third one. And by noon, they had taken the entire ridge along the seven-kilometer front. There were incredible instances of bravery and discipline. There were countless acts of sacrifice as they continued moving forward. Canadians single-handedly charged the machine gun nests or forced the surrender of Germans in the trenches. The last stronghold was a hill called Hill 145. It was the highest and most fortified feature on the ridge. It is the spot where the Vimy Monument now stands. If you ever go there or have gone there, it's on top of that hill. It was captured last in a final frontal bayonet charge against machine gun positions. The battle was very costly. Over those seven, eight hours, 3,600 men were killed outright and 7,000 were wounded. But they had taken this most heavily defended German position. They were victorious. And that's what, what the monument celebrates. This is the point of highest the highest point, and that's why they set the monument there. It's a, a memorial of that victory. It was more than just an important battle. After the war ended, the German military leaders who were interviewed, who were talked to, they said that after this loss at Vimy Ridge, they knew they couldn't win. It was that significant. They knew the war was over for them. It was decisive, even though the war did not end till November 11, 1918, a year and a half later. It was that decisive action that turned the tide, that made all the difference. And for Canada, with the four Canadian divisions fighting together, men from all regions of Canada Brigadier General Ross, he was part of the Canadian leadership. He declared after the war, in those hours, I witnessed the birth of a nation. There was a significance to it that Canada was no longer just a colony of Britain. Canada was a country contributing significantly to things of this world. And so the, the sense of this example, the victory made all the difference in the war as a whole and even in the understanding of individuals, of Canadians. We confess that Jesus won the decisive victory in the battle over death on that hill of Calvary. That's what we declare. There was a battle on a hill that makes all the difference. There he defeated the most entrenched enemy position ever, death. 
death has a hold of this world, everyone is under its power. Like it looks down on this whole world from, from a high point, from a ridge, and there is no escaping. Jesus came face to face, attacked that position, the full power of death on the cross, and he won. He took that hill. He won the victory. In his resurrection, he came back from the dead after defeating death. So that is what we celebrate at Easter. The cross is a battlefield, a memorial marking a battlefield. And Jesus' death and resurrection is the victory we see. Praise God. So the truth of Good Friday and Easter changes our view. Our view of the world. The victory is won. We live in a world, people die, people do die. I lead funerals here. You have lost loved ones. But the victory is won. Those who die, it's like a terrorist attack. We are attacked. Our faith is attacked when people die. But we are not lost. Though death seems to have a final say, we know, we know, we are not afraid. Death has lost its power. 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. We can say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. We have that assurance again, even today. And that's also, secondly, just for us, our own identity, not as Canadians, but as Christians. Jesus' victory marks us as a nation, as, as Christians, as followers of Christ. So we're not insignificant part of other things. No, we are followers of Christ. We are those who have been called to be part of the kingdom of God. He draws all believers together to serve our Lord. And we continue to do that as believers. That's who we are. And that gives us great hope and confidence as we live each day for our Lord who is victorious. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be reminded of your sending your Son into this world and you, Lord Jesus, coming into this world of sin and death to confront that power of death on the cross and to win the victory for us. Lord, we recognize your greatness, your goodness, your love, your victory again this morning. And we want to celebrate with all God's people too that great hope and truth that you have made all the difference for us. We pray that in our lives we would continue to be a witness to that and experience that hope and comfort even in the struggles we face. Lord, we pray too that you would make the mission team also a voice in this world, in the difficult circumstances that they will run into and find that they can bring a message of hope too, that you are the one who has gained the victory and in you, we will live. Lord, we thank you for that hope, that assurance, that faith, 
that joy that you give, that we might live that out each day to your honor and glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen.